Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tate. We have a great show for you this week. Now, last episode, I teased an interview with Nicholas Lawrence, but we're having a little bit of trouble with the audio for that. So this week on the show, I talked to New York Times bestselling author Alan Kronzak. Nick Lacapo joins me via Skype to talk about the featured download of the week from Michael Lamar. Before all that, comedian, magician, and motivational speaker Adam Christing joins me for the top five under five. Adam Christing, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast for the top five under five. You are a wonderful uh, public speaker and uh, sort of in, uh, motivational speaker at uh, different corporate events. I wanted to know your top five tricks for uh, speakers. Let's start with number five. Oh, you're killing me. This is so fun. Well, you always want to start with the message and then find the method or the magic that mm. services that. And uh, I'd have to say... Oh, this is tough. I'm going to have to go with Svenpad. Oh, man. that's It's a really, really great product, and it, it's so versatile. I can totally understand why a speaker would want to have a Svenpad in their back pocket. Oh, it's so helpful. Like, for example, I do this talk about Bob Dylan and how you can reinvent your life, and uh, I have forced chapters uh, from the book using the <laughs> Svenpad. And so it just gives you really you're only limited by your imagination. So that's got to be there. Yeah, if you're if you're going to be doing sort of more corporate events where the messaging is sort of determined quite a bit by your employer, I can totally understand why a Svenpad would be just an invaluable tool. Let's keep moving though. Number four. Okay, I love using a duplicate card. What, what is that called? Because you're the card man. Uh, a, a, I think the technical term for a duplicate card is a duplicate card. <laughs> Yeah, but a dupe. Yeah, yeah, a dupe. And so let's say I have two jack of spades, mm-hmm. jacks of spade in my uh, pack. I have one on the top, one on the bottom. And the effect that I love to do uh, is my friend Stephen Barnes' effect called Transpo Bozo, where the cards switch places. Mm. I can do it close up. I could do it on stage. I can do it in a Zoom call. It is just super powerful. So that would be right there. Understanding how to handle a duplicate card in front of lay people is is such an, an, an extraordinarily powerful piece of magic. I don't always keep a duplicate card in my deck, but when I do, I know that I'm going to just wreck people because yeah. because of how powerful it is. I but, love that word wreck. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's really like, talk about an ace up the sleeve, having yeah. that duplicate card, so powerful. Okay. Literally having a duplicate ace up your sleeve. Yeah, is, there, uh, <laughs> like literally. Let's move on to number three. Okay, this is going to sound cliche, but I'm telling you, I mentioned this in my Penguin uh, live uh, lecture. If I had to jump out of a plane with only a parachute and one effect, this has got to be in the top two or three, mm-hmm. the invisible deck. Yeah. Because it's so much more than doing the classic invisible deck patter. You can reveal a card. You can create a synchronicity effect. You can play it as a prediction. You can play it for comedy. There's just so many ways you can play. You can use it as an out. And so to me, it's it's like having Batman's utility belt. I've used an invisible deck so many times on stage, I, I can't even count because it is it is such a valuable tool. And I think that it often gets overlooked by people because it's it's such a common device for magicians we all just we look at a card facing the other direction in the deck and we all go yep that's an invisible deck and we move on with our lives but for lay audiences it's a real killer and using your quick stack uh, that you talk about in your penguin lecture it makes it even faster and like you don't do the mental calculations i'm I'm actually seriously considering switching to that quick stack after seeing your lecture yeah Uh, 
Okay, so we're at number two now? Yeah, we are oh, at number two. I, I am curious as to what the situation is where you're being forced to jump out of a plane with only a parachute and a one magic trick. But let's move on through the rest yeah, of this. It happened to me in 2004. It was a rough encounter. but <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hit number two. Okay, mnemonics, which, you know, people think of a memorized deck, which is fantastic. But for me, the most powerful way to use mnemonics, hands down, is mem- memorizing the names and faces of my audience members. I know that was like a Kreskin slash Harry Lorraine uh, oh, yeah. thing, and I've seen Harry Lorraine do that, and oh, it's, it, it's so powerful. Well, think everyone's favorite word in whatever language is the sound of their own name. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my friend, uh, I have a friend named Dave Stone who does this beautifully, where at the end of his presentation, he thanks every single attendee by name and has them sit down. And it's just, it's not only a, you know, a standing ovation guaranteed, but more importantly, you're telling the audience, I care about every single one of you. I saw him do it one time where a server from the hotel walked in and he knew his name too. It was just like unbelievable. Mnemonics are, memory stunts are just impress audiences because your own memory is so fallible that when it's something so immediate that people just um, immediately understand how impressive it is. And, and one of the performances that sticks in my head to this day is a performance by Barry Richardson of him doing his yes. memorized magazine and, so, and, and him talking about mnemonics. And that's something that I've always wanted to work on is doing that memor- memorized magazine. It's really uh, worth it. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen Jonathan Levitt just, just destroy it with it, oh, but so we, we, uh, we're almost out of time. Hit me with number one. Okay. This is not a magic trick, but I'll tell you, it's a magic, powerful technique. And it's simply this, mm-hmm. when you're speaking to your client, the meeting planner, whoever booked you for the event, Asking about the ideal outcome for them. In other words, how do you want the attendees at this meeting to feel? Mm. What do you want them to experience? By knowing that, that's almost like the ultimate effect. Then I can reverse yeah. engineer the the uh, the effect, the trick that I want to do to get me there. I think even if you're not doing like a motivational speech and you're just doing like a paid corporate show, asking that question, I think can. I think I'm going to start asking that question because it had never occurred to me before because I always know that I want my audience to feel astonished and amazed and entertained and like they had fun. But I maybe there's something different that the the host of the event that I'm throwing wants. And, it, and that's, man, that's such a powerful question. Well, I don't know. You've probably heard the of the golden rule, but some say the golden rule is the one with the gold makes the rules. Yeah. And so <laughs> I want to delight the person who's hiring me. I want to find out what is the outcome she's looking for and if I deliver that, I'm going to get asked back. My record, I think, is eight years in a row. One client booked me eight years oh. in a row, and then that company went under. But they kept having me back because I kept finding ways to um, re-delight them the way they wanted to experience it. Man, those are four powerful tricks and one powerful question that I understand why those are your favorite. Adam Christing, thanks so much for joining me here on the Top 5 Under 5. Thank you. Thanks so much to Adam for sharing that top five with me, which this week is brought to you by Shazam, the podcast that hopes to make itself obsolete. Their December 7th episode features Cassie Coralie, makeup artist to the stars, giving advice on how to make yourself look good for photo and video shoots. Go give that a listen. We love everything Kayla is doing over there. On to the main event. Alan Kronzak is the New York Times bestselling author of The Sorcerer's Companion and is also author of acclaimed books like Artful Deceptions and Grandpa Magic. He came to the P3 Studios last year, filmed some phenomenal card tricks, and then I sat down with him for a wide-ranging talk about becoming an author. And now you get to join our conversation. 
Alan Kronzek, thanks so much for sitting down with me at the Penguin Magic Podcast. Uh, we just recorded some really great tricks with you, and uh, and thanks for coming out here. But what I wanted to talk to you about before we got into any of the magic stuff is uh, you're not just a magic author. You're like a, a real author. You write real You wrote The Sorcerer's Companion. I did. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved with that? Because the, the Harry Potter franchise is uh, well-protected, to, to say the least. Uh, so there's, I mean, there that's a big big organization taking care of their stuff so how did how did you get involved uh writing for the harry potter world sort of um i was doing a lot of school shows okay um and i had written a book on introduction to magic for kids called the secrets of alcazar okay and uh i did magic shows in schools and as the harry potter books were becoming uh, more and more popular it was becoming a thing Mm -hmm. um kids would ask me in school is magic real you know, is, is it real? Mm-hmm. And I realized there were no books in middle school mm-hmm. about historical magical practices, you know, in witchcraft. There were no yeah. such books in middle school libraries. Mm-hmm. And I thought, there's an idea uh, for my next book. I, I'll write a middle school book about the history of magical beliefs. And we'll go from, you know, ancient times, Babylonia and Egypt all the way up to, uh, include many writers who wrote about magic, all the way up to the Harry Potter series. So that was the concept of the book. And I invited my daughter, who was a historian. She, at that time, she was getting her uh, master's in history at Princeton, mm-hmm. and she's a terrific writer. I said, you want to write this um, with me? And she said, uh, yeah, sure, maybe. Um, uh, did I read any of the Harry Potter books? No, I hadn't read any. So she said, read them. Yeah. And, and uh, so I did. And I thought, oh, these are pretty good. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> To put we, it mildly. <laughs> so as we talked, uh, the concept changed of a book about the history of magic from ancient times to Harry Potter in terms of why not frame everything in Harry Potter terms. In fact, when I read the books, I realized... J.K. Rowling had done a tremendous amount of research on real historical magic. Yeah. And so she's talking about curses and spells and witchcraft and, uh, and uh, ancient practices and Nicholas Flamel, who was a real uh, person. Mm-hmm. And I realized that um, most readers of the Harry Potter books didn't know what all this stuff was about because J.K. Rowling did not stop to explain the background. Mm-hmm. She just refers to it all. Mm-hmm. But underneath, there's this depth of uh, information about real magical beliefs. So we hit upon the idea of doing a book like that. What you mentioned, of course, is you cannot step on the Harry Potter franchise um, toes, Mm -hmm. and you can't rip anything off. But that Mm -hmm. wasn't the idea of the book. The Mm -hmm. idea was to do a reader's guide. And so Mm -hmm. the book is not about the characters. It's Mm -hmm. not about um, the plots. It's not about the meaning of the book. Okay. It's about all of the magical practices about spells, curses, potions, magical creatures, where they all come from, who are the historical real characters, what people believed, what all those practices were. Mm -hmm. And so um, we put a pitch together, you know, and and as you do when you're writing a book like this, you write an outline of the whole book and uh, sample chapters. And uh, I didn't have an agent at that time, mm-hmm. and we went agent fishing. I had uh, editor friends mm-hmm. who said, why don't you try this agent and that agent, and several agents uh, said, oh, we're not going to touch this because this is Harry Potter related, yeah. and you're going to get your ass sued. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we didn't think so because there wasn't any infringement. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got directed to another editor who said, this is a terrific idea. Yeah. You know, we would love to do this. 
Um, and this was on the basis of a letter, send me the outline. We already had written the outline and six or seven chapters, mm -hmm. and she read it and she loved it, and she put it up for auction, which is what publishers do mm -hmm. when they think there's a big market for something, mm -hmm. and a number of publishers bid on it, and uh, the winner was Broadway Books, which was a division of Random House, mm -hmm. and so that's, uh, and of course they had to vet it, Yeah, but... Um, since we weren't infringing and taking any of J.K. Rowling's material, that wasn't a problem. That's that's such a fantastic story and really interesting because there, I mean, if you because I'm a huge fan of the books myself, and there really is a rich tapestry based on real life and exactly. all kinds of wonderful references in there. There was uh, interestingly a uh, trial in New York City uh, where J.K. Rowling took to court um, one of the people who had done a. Um, a web page, a fan-based web page mm -hmm. um, that had lots and lots of fans mm -hmm. talking about all the Harry Potter materials, mm -hmm. and that was all okay. But then he decided to make a book out of it. Oh. And she stopped him because the book was all of her material. He yeah. was just simply re restating her material. Yeah. And uh, during the court trial, the um, she was given a copy on the stand of Sorcerer's Companion mm -hmm. and said, are you familiar with his book? And she said, yes, I've seen it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any problems with it? She said, no, because everything in this book just adds to people who want to know more about this. So, you know, this book is fine with me. That's really great. Yeah. And, and it spent a uh, month and a half at the New York Times bestseller list. It did. That's, that's, and that, that's a, quite a feather in your cap. That's, that's really excellent. That was really cool. And uh, alas, that, that happened after the Christmas season in January. <laughs> had we only made it a a few weeks earlier, but the, the book did very well. That's great. It came out when there were um, four Harry Potter books and one movie. Oh, okay. So then we updated after um, there were two more editions. Oh, and, great. And they marketed each each edition again, so it got uh, a whole bunch of new sales every time it was represented until finally there was you know a book about all of the Harry Potter books. Uh, but you've got a new book out right now, and again, uh, available all over the place, uh, Grandpa Magic. This is a, a fantastic new book that you've written. Uh, tell me a little bit about Grandpa Magic. Um, the concept of the book is how to relate to your grandkids um, with magic. This came about because of a frequent question. People would, I, I perform a set of magic, you know, socially, mm -hmm. and somebody would say, can you teach me something I, I can show my grandkids? Yeah. Do you have any tricks I can show my grandkids? And I was asked this question so many times, and as, it was frankly my wife's idea who said, hey, that's your next book. Yeah. You know, why don't you do a book about that? So uh, I thought that that was a good idea. I know a lot of tricks that, that grandpas can learn to do. That's really excellent because so I know uh, I actually learned my first card trick from my grandfather and he's always asking me, hey, do you have any new tricks that I can show uh, people at the bridge club? And I don't know what to teach him because the stuff that I do is not sort of in his uh, in his wheelhouse or, right. or, or he would have to spend a considerable more time practicing the, the tricks that I usually do. So this sounds uh, really wonderful for him to show n not just people in his bridge club, but his other grandkids who are not magicians. <laughs> sure, and you can also show it to adults. Adults, too. oh yeah, absolutely. You know? So this, the, what's in here is just a variety of, of 
um, magic. Mm-hmm. There's a card section which mm-hmm. includes, of all things, the 21 card trick. <laughs> you know, which I <laughs> some part of me hates the 21 card trick. Yeah. But kids love the 21 card trick. They do. You know, I teach at camp, mm-hmm. and they love the trick. And we have three endings they can use, so mm-hmm. it's real cool. The ending is much better mm-hmm. than the original 21 card trick. Uh, so uh, there's card magic. There's a little coin magic. We mm-hmm. teach a, a finger palm mm-hmm. and uh, coins through the hand, the melting pennies and mm-hmm. things like that. And then there are um, stunts, things mm-hmm. you can do, the dinner table stuff, the stuff that uh, Jay Marshall called table crap, how to bun- <laughs> bounce a dinner roll and make a dinner roll float and bend oh. a spoon. And, yeah. Um, stuff like that how to turn a napkin into a bunny mm-hmm. and all, all kinds of easy stuff and the finished format of the book was much different than i had expected because mm-hmm. it's illustrated with um cartoon versions of me which wasn't the original wasn't my concept at all yeah i thought it was going to be photographs yeah you know or, or and like two-thirds of the way through mm-hmm. they said oh by the way um let's do this comic book style mm-hmm. And they showed me the, a dummy, and I thought it looked terrific. Oh, it looks great, because this is done by the same people who did uh, Joshua Jay's big book of magic. Yeah, this is Workman. Yeah. And they're a terrific uh, publisher mm-hmm. for highly illustrated books. That's This is really great for anyone who is uh, wanting to learn some excellent tricks, and, and uh, but also it, an excellent gift. Because I know one of the questions I get all the time is, uh, hey, you know, I've got some friends who might be interested in magic, but they're not quite magicians yet. This is a really great book for uh, to give to anyone who is thinking about getting interested in magic as well, I think, anyway. No, I, yeah. I agree with you. And there was an unexpected... Um, consequence of the design of the book mm-hmm. because uh, many people mistook it for a book for children yeah you know and i here's grandpa magic that's me mm-hmm. and i'm showing children or teaching children mm-hmm. and they got it for kids mm-hmm. and an eight-year-old can do just fine with this book oh that's excellent as, as well as grandpa uh, now yeah. let's I'm gonna shift gears just a little bit uh talk about books a little uh, still uh but you've got a really great uh magic book artful deceptions that's the, that's the latest card book. Yeah. The, that's the latest card book, which I bought uh, when it came out uh, a couple years ago, was it? Uh, yeah. A year and a half ago or so? Yeah. Uh, I think you did it with Vanishing, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Vanishing. Uh, yeah. That's a really great book because Thank there's a, a, a great move in there that I really liked, uh, the old business card move. You know where you put a business card in a deck yeah. of cards and then use it, turning over the business card to transpose uh, the two halves of the deck. Right. Uh, but you do it with a playing card in there, and there's a really excellent handling. That's Steve Beam's handling. Oh, is that Steve Beam's handling? It's his handling. It's been a while since I've read it, so I apologize. Steve's yeah. a friend of mine. I don't want to uh, give credit where credit is not due. Oh, it's or, a beautiful, beautiful handling. It's really excellent. Uh, how did you How did you come to write that book? Uh, because I think that there's a lot of people who might be listening to this who want to write a book, but they're uh, uh, but they're not sure how to go about writing a magic book but how did you how did you get involved in writing that sorry to interrupt but this week the main event is brought to you by the legend series cannibal kings taught by michael lamar nick lacapo joined me via skype to talk about this classic card effect nick i am shocked frightened and appalled that we have yet to talk about michael lamar on the podcast is that true it's true we've wow. we, we have yet to mention one of the greatest teachers of magic of the modern age i mean we better we better 
offer our apologies so that we're not struck down by the god that is Michael Lamar right now. <laughs> Let's talk about one of his tricks. He did. He did a few years ago. He did a series that flew under my radar. I know. I know a lot of other people liked it, but I. I never picked up on it. But it was the Legends series where he he mm-hmm. taught a bunch of really really killer stuff. And one that I I came across that I'm really excited about is Cannibal Kings. Love Cannibal Kings. What a Cannibal great Kings. Plot. What's that? What a great plot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I talk about this whenever I... So Cannibal Kings is, you bring the four kings out of the deck, you say that they're cannibals, uh, and they eat the other cards that are in the deck, you have some cards selected, and then the cards vanish because the cannibals eat them. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, you, you cut the cannibals open, and inside of their stomachs you will find all the selected cards. I think it's three selected cards. Yeah. When I was um, when I was a kid, and I, I mean there was no magicians around or anything, I didn't know anything about magic. I had a friend named Brian who told me that he saw a magician do a trick where they had these four cannibal kings eating the cards. He's basically describing cannibal kings to me. Yeah, and I was I always remember going like, man, that sounds crazy. Now I'm like ten or eleven or something. I had no idea. <laughs> You know, then 20 years goes by <laughs> and I see Cannibal King that always like what I'm trying to get at is it was a testament to like that story that my friend told me about a card trick that he thought he saw somebody else show him stuck with me like 15, 20 years later. Right. And I'd never even seen the trick. So when I first got a chance to see Cannibal Kings, I was so excited and it and it totally delivered because it's such a strong card trick. Yeah. Whenever you perform an effect like this where no one has any idea where those cards go, and it's yeah. It's just name like another so plot cool. in Magic like this one, right? I don't. It's yeah. It, it, it's one of those where it's like it's already got the built-in. The presentation is built in. Uh, the the trick is really good. It's a solid trick. Mm-hmm. And if you're learning it from Michael Lamar, you're just flat out going to learn the best version. That's that's really yeah. all there is to that. Now I know that the now I I, I I might be spacing a little bit on the new like the newest version if he's changed the handling at all mm-hmm. because I know the original handling that I first learned from Michael uh, you know so I'm assuming it's the same yeah uh, use the Escania spread yeah and I'm assuming it's the same in this as well I believe that's like a um, uh, a backbone of of this routine. And uh, that's such a cool move to learn if you've never learned it before. Yeah. I remember when I first learned it, I was like, this is one of the coolest moves I've ever seen. I, I love the Escanio spread. It's a lot of fun to do, and it's super useful in creating your own packet tricks. Mm-hmm. So the sleight of hand's pretty easy, and but you're going to be learning some new slights, most likely, if, if, if you're not, if you have no idea what I'm talking about right now at all. Yeah. So, but they're good slights to learn, because they're, they're, they're some of the best. Check out, can- check out Cannibal Kings, the Legend series presented by Michael Lamar. You're going to love it. That was Cannibal Kings from the Legend series by Michael Lamar, available on penguinmagic.com. And as a special thank you for listening to the show, if you enter the discount code PENGUINPOD at checkout, you'll get 25% off this amazing card trick. That's P-E-N-G-U-I-N-P-O-D, all one word for 25% off Cannibal Kings. That discount is good until next Wednesday at midnight and only for Cannibal Kings. Now, back to my conversation with Alan Kronzek. Uh, Because I think that there's a lot of people who might be listening to this who want to write a book but they're uh uh, but they're not sure how to go about writing a magic book but how did you how did you get involved in writing that um the book is really 
Mainly presentations. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I have never invented a lot of original magic moves, mm-hmm. but over the years, I've developed a lot of presentations for um, classic tricks mm-hmm. that I thought were really, really good. Yeah, and that played very well. And um, a few years ago, I put out many years ago, I put out a series of notes that had um, four tricks in it mm-hmm. um, called uh, what was the name of it? Destiny Chance and free will oh yes okay. and other presentations and um, that got a lot of attention because uh, Jamie Ian Swiss who was writing for uh, Genie at that time mm-hmm. gave it a rave review mm-hmm. and it got also rave reviews so um, that was those four tricks were the basis of Artful Deception so mm-hmm. I had a, a few more things that I wanted to do and I approached um, Vanishing Ink first with the idea of doing a, a video mm-hmm. and they said I think it's a, you know I think a book is your format. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you put together oh maybe uh, 25, 30 tricks, mm-hmm. and uh, I think we can make a book out of it. And I got back to them and said, well I have eight. I think that's it. Mm-hmm. That I, I mean I have variations, but yeah. what's original and what I'm proud of is like eight tricks, mm-hmm. and I think that all of them are worth doing that they mm-hmm. would fit into the repertoires of uh, repertoires of many magicians mm-hmm. and they're all strong tricks and so they thought oh well, actually that's a pretty cool idea mm-hmm. we can just do those few tricks and that's how that came about but they're a magic mm-hmm. publisher yeah so you know it's, it's a very different avenue and a very different audience that you're writing for and yeah. i think that what's interesting there is that uh the the tricks themselves are not specifically original in that you're not coming up with a brand new plot or a brand new move or a totally different you're focusing very heavily on unique and original presentations there which is an excellent way to approach the uh, the rest of the magic community because i think there's a lot of people who uh come up with great presentations and they may be a little nervous about releasing it because they're thinking oh there's nothing new here but sometimes a new presentation can be just as valuable as coming up with a brand new trick uh i i totally agree Mm -hmm. um one of the when the book first came out, I did some uh, uh, presentations of two of the tricks at um, the convention right here in Columbus. Oh, uh, Magi Fest at Magi Fest, yeah. yeah. Uh, and one of the tricks is "Do as I do," mm-hmm. you know, and it's a very basic premise. But I added a different plot and a couple of drinking glasses, and it totally transforms the trick mm-hmm. into something amazing and. Fools uh, uh, a number of magicians, yeah. even though they know the trick. But it, the presentation and the staging is so strong, you know. And I would have made a uh, a video out of it or a download, mm-hmm. but anybody watching the preview would get the trick. Yeah, you know. So they, oh, I know that, mm-hmm. but I never thought of it presenting it like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what people came up to me afterwards and said, "Man, that is a cool presentation." Oh, that's so, that's a great story. That's excellent. Let's let's shift gears totally away from books now because okay. uh, it's it's great talking to you as an author. But you've done uh, school shows for a long time, which is an interesting avenue to me because I've never done a school show in my life. Uh, it's just not how I work. That's not how I do things. But how did you get involved in school shows, and and how do you put together a, a, a good school show? Uh, trial and error was <laughs> part of it. Um, I was uh, leaving one career and entering another one mm-hmm. when I came up with this. Uh, how am I going to transition to magic, which is what I really want to do? Mm-hmm. I was uh, for many years in broadcasting. Mm-hmm. So I, I ran a radio station, rock and roll radio station, mm-hmm. and eventually it got sold. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could stick with the new people, but I wouldn't be the general manager anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I could go look 
in other markets, and I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to stay where I was and so and write books mm-hmm. and do magic. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm an academic at heart. Mm-hmm. You know, I like I like books. Uh, and on Long Island, where I live, there is an organization called BOCES, Board of Cooperative Educational Services, which has a whole uh, arts and education department and a catalog with many hundreds of shows that are available to schools that are subsidized by the state. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, okay, there's a market there. And I know they had some magic shows, but what was, what was I going to do? And um, I came up with a concept of doing a magic show about the history of magic as a performing art mm-hmm. and tied into middle school curriculum because uh, that's when they study ancient Greece, that's when they study uh, Egypt, that's when they study the Middle Ages, that's when they oh. you know, get into the... Yeah. eventually end up usually in the Industrial Revolution, you mm-hmm. know, in the course of a couple of semesters. So why not tie in a history of magic, which I start in ancient Greece mm-hmm. with cups and balls, mm-hmm. uh, and bring it up through... Um, in the illustrations I got mm-hmm. together for the PowerPoint part of this, you know, the famous Bosch illustrations of cups and balls. Oh, and yeah. Bruegel, uh, yeah. cups and balls, and how people perceived magic throughout the ages, what they thought of it, you know, mm-hmm. um, how it fit in with their worldview, and mm-hmm. whether they really thought it was supernatural, or mm-hmm. they understood that these were tricks. Mm-hmm. So that was the concept of, of the show, and... Um, the first few shows I did for free, you mm-hmm. know, approaching a school. Can I do this? Can I try it out? Will you write me a, a letter of recommendation? Mm-hmm. And you get the letters, and then I apply to BOCES, and can I get in the catalog? Mm-hmm. And then a huge amount of pitching, mm-hmm. you know, making up brochures, doing mailings mm-hmm. to all of the schools in um, the two big counties of mm-hmm. uh, Long Island, Nassau, and Suffolk. Mm-hmm. And so a tremendous amount of um, promotional work, getting people just to notice that the programs existed. Mm -hmm. And then I also, when the Harry Potter thing came out, put together a Harry Potter program, Yes, which was about the book, and I could sell the books. Mm -hmm. The PTAs would have me in and do the program Mm -hmm. and sell the books. And uh, it was funny because uh, most schools were really eager to have the program Mm because the kids were reading the books. And the books, again, the, the subject of the presentation was the history of magical beliefs and the stuff in the Harry Potter books mm-hmm. intermingled with performance. Mm-hmm. So I would do that kind of stuff. And uh, most of the schools loved it. But at that time, there were also people saying these books are about witchcraft and yeah. not in our school and yeah. you can't do any of that. So that was uh, going on at yeah. the same time. But eventually, you know, how I made it work is getting a lot of success, a lot of bookings, putting out mailings that said, here are my previous bookings, and now there's 30 people they can call as references, because mm-hmm. all of that matters. Oh, yeah. You know, and, well, especially uh, in, in, a, in a school format where they want to know that what they're, because they, they don't have a huge budget, so they've got to make sure that what they're bringing in is worth every dollar that they're spending. Exactly. Yeah. That's really, and I think what was very interesting there that you pointed out was uh, the program that you're putting together is in line with what they're studying at that time. Because if they're not studying this kind of stuff, it might not be relevant to what the students are sort of aware of. I also Mm -hmm. did a science program, Mm -hmm. too, uh, which was for middle school and ended up being for fifth and sixth grades. And I I like to come in for the day Mm -hmm. and do small classes. So if the large school has, let's say, five fifth grades, Mm -hmm. I do at least two shows or sometimes three because they were very interactive. Gotcha. And and, uh, it was all about scientific method. Magic being 
how do you know something's real? Mm -hmm. uh, can you believe what you see? And if you can't believe what you see and you don't know what's going on, how do you find out? Mm -hmm. And magic is a really good way to talk about that. Man, that's fantastic. Alan uh, Kronzak, thanks so much for coming in uh, to the P3 Magic Studios, and thanks for sitting down with me in the podcast. Uh, it's been great uh, meeting you, and it's been great uh, talking with you. Thanks. That's going to do it for this week, kids. Thanks so much to Alan for the great conversation, and thanks to you for listening. Next week on the show, I'm getting in my Wayback Machine to bring you an interview I taped earlier this year when we were in Las Vegas. I'll be talking to Dan Sperry. You're not going to want to miss this. As always, we're a weekly podcast, so be sure to like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episodes on the social media platform you're posting about mysterious monoliths in the Utah desert. If you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this week's show, please send your silver herald to me to announce that you're about to devour my world. But if being a giant planet-eating monster from the Marvel Comics universe isn't your thing, you can always hit me up on Instagram at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. From me and everyone else here at the P3 Magic Studios, practice, practice, wear a mask. Thank you.